Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, Adam. Oh, no. We can't start the show like that. <laughs> I'm sending I'm sending a message from me into the future, Ben. Yeah. Oh, yeah? This is, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, this will be past me speaking. Uh-huh. To future me, because I listen to every episode we put out there. I don't know if you know that. I both QA the episodes and listen to them when they come out, on the day they come out. Is that weird? That is weird. I <laughs> I mean, I'm glad one of us is because... What, what if there's a mistake? I'm I'm sort of compulsive like that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think that I wish I was a little bit more compulsive like that. I'm, I'm locking and unlocking the door five times before I publish the episode. I mean, there is a mistake. I think we can all count on... <laughs> I mean, this whole podcast is kind of a mistake. It's been a terrible mistake from the start. It's true. <laughs> I was looking at the calendar, though, Ben, uh, the calendar for when this ep comes out, and this is going to come out the week after my dog goes back into surgery. Fuck. Uh, Unfortunately, the first leg surgery was successful, so successful on my dog that he immediately blew out his other leg, his his what was previously known as the good leg, (laughs) uh, about a month ago, and so now we've got... Like, uh, if a dog had the odometer button that you reset when you gas up a car, yeah, uh, the eight to ten weeks of rehab will have begun a week before this show has come out. Fuck, man. And we had just gotten to, like, the end of the rehab, which was not an insignificant amount of effort. I mean, we were happy to do it. We love our good, good boy. Uh happy to do it again quite honestly like this is a thing we've been told will uh improve his quality of life all the way to the end for him but it just like back to back man yeah that's a bummer it's and and i've been at your place a couple of times in the recovery process i mean part of it is just bad because he has like one chicken leg yeah. When it all gets shaved. Yeah, for vanity reasons, first and foremost, it's just not a good look for him. Yeah. He doesn't like that. But also, it's like a he's got like a dubstep dog haircut. <laughs> he's got asymmetrical dog haircut going? Yeah. You can't rock that unless you're you're a dubstep DJ, you're right. Yeah, and your dog doesn't really like MDMA that much. I'm not that old. I can get into it. That is not one of the prescriptions he takes during uh, recovery. <laughs> But also, it's just a hassle. Like, he's not allowed to, like, go up and down stairs. He can't frolic in the yard that much. Like, he can't do a lot of the things that dogs are supposed to do. Yeah, you, you've got to, like, uh, put the strap around his body and carry his back legs like a, like a suitcase. That's a thing. Really? Yeah, there's a, there's a thing, because he's not supposed to be weight-bearing, you know, for the first several weeks on those back legs. So you got to, when you take him out... yeah. You've got a you've got a wrap of Velcro thing around his ab- abdomen that has a couple of carry straps. Whoa! And so he's like walking on his front legs, and you're supporting the weight of the back legs, like no he's a shit. dog suitcase. What? Why not? And let me tell just you, just one of those dog wheelchairs, if that's the deal. 
it's because there are like single steps that we have to navigate, like yeah, like the step into the backyard. Right. And uh, let me tell you something, Ben. When you have a a boy dog, that pee goes flying. <laughs> when you've got your dong uh, proximate to a Velcro strap. Yeah, that's uh, you know, I I don't like underwear with very strong elastic for that exact reason. <laughs> um, you know, this is only. God, just like the weakest of tangential subjects to this. But <laughs> I was over at John's last week. He's a Borg. And he uh, had just a stack of jeans on the ground, like maybe 20 pairs of jeans. You're talking about John Roderick, the co-host of Friendly Fire, <laughs> yeah. our smash hit war movie podcast. Yeah. And yeah, I should have used first name, last name. I'm, I'm just name dropping. <laughs> 20 pairs of like nice Levi's jeans, yeah. all blown out in this same spot. Yeah. I don't know why he keeps them. He's like, what am I supposed to do, man? Oh, no. <gasps> like, I could get them repaired, and then he holds up a version that's been repaired. Ben, it's not a good look. I don't know if you've ever seen a pair of of blown out jeans with a with a patch on the blowout. I it's bad. almost exclusively wear jeans with patch on the blowout so <laughs> I, I i think maybe he uh maybe he got bad tailoring because i i have not noticed that with any of your jeans but the good issue, lord the issue here is that is that if you have chunky thighs the way john and i do and you do not uh you your legs rub together and that's like Keep the highest off my thighs baby. the highest <laughs> put my mouth wherever i damn well please <laughs> You know that that's like a uh, that's a high friction zone, mm. and uh, I've been trying to lose weight. And one of the things I hope will become less of a problem, if if I am successful, is that I will wear through the crotch of my jeans less quickly. But like I literally last night opened the drawer of my dresser and pulled out like five pairs of jeans that I wish I could wear but cannot. Mm. Like, I, I, I only ever have one active pair of jeans because I wear them for, like, six months, and they go, and the crotch dies, and I have to go buy new ones. Kind of like that process, though, that daily wear. I do, too. I think that's good. I've, I've got a rotation. Maybe that's what has kept my crotch integrity. You go week in and week out on those same jeans. You're really hammering the crotch, aren't you? It's just because you're so, you're so naturally slim, Adam. You got to check your 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 body privilege. I don't think there's any privilege happening with with my body image, that's for sure. Hey, I lost 15 pounds though. What? Yeah. Hey, that's great. Yeah. My target weight is still 25 pounds away, but uh but I'm on on the road. You're a a rogue Jim Shimoda, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I don't even have one of those tank tops, but I'm uh but I'm doing it. Making progress. Yeah, that uh, that what are you doing to alleviate stress question on the questionnaire I filled out <laughs> a couple months ago has inspired me to also get my butt back in the gym. So I'm a I'm a four day a week guy again. Hey, Doing good, good for you. Not any less stressed though. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if it's working. But yeah, uh, you're just on the you're on the elliptical grinding your teeth the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I need a sport mouth guard, like basketball <laughs> players wear. Yeah, I was doing one of those for a while. Well, uh, much like recording a show, 
to send uh, into the future by several weeks, so too is the story of one Miles Edward O'Brien on today's episode, Ben. What do you say we get into that story? I am all for that plan of action. All right. Today's ep is Deep Space Nine, Season 3, Episode 17, Visionary. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Ben, we start off in a place that I think we now realize is the most dangerous station in ops. It's the pit, right? Yeah, it's the pit, and uh, O'Brien appears to just be napping on the job. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Right there, right there in the command center of the entire station. If you're gonna nap anywhere in ops, that's the place, right? I mean, outside of the dangerous electrical shock hazards <laughs> i think staying out of sight is probably a good idea but also like i mean we see the instrument panels on starships blowing up all the time and i think that it's smart that deep space nine has centralized all of the explodey parts of their computer in one place mm-hmm. you know and it's like yeah. th- because it's in a pit it's contained you know nobody's gonna get blown up by an exploding panel does the pit have a blast door that closes? <laughs> like, if shit just st- starts going crazy down there, can they uh, can, can they, they roll s- it closed? Can they seal O'Brien in like Steve Zahn in Crimson Tide? <laughs> <laughs> Tell Keiko I love her! <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> it fills up with water, and they're like, why is there water in there? <laughs> But yeah, uh, the, the chief was uh, was messing around with an EPS conduit. Plasma exploded on him, and uh, he's been he's been irradiated. The doctor is saying like, I do think he should be restricted to light duty for the next few days. I want to ask this question as gently as possible, Ben. Uh huh. Do you think O'Brien's good at his job? <laughs> because like an electrician who shocks himself or gets injured as often as O'Brien does. Probably not going to get a great score on Angie's list, right? I mean, I don't give a shit. As long as he fixes my fucking wiring. <laughs> yeah, it's not your body. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want, man. I don't know. I thought I, I expected more respect for the trades out of you, given, <laughs> given our mutual this old house affection. No, I mean, I think that uh, it would have been nice for O'Brien's rep if they could have worked in one line about there was like a micro fracture in the metallurgy that nobody could have known about unless they had like a Jordi LaForge visor, you know? That's what I'm saying. I, I They should get him off the hook a little bit because they're starting a pattern. It's a pattern, but it's also like a piece of shit station, you know? Right. So yeah. I don't think he was in and out of Six Bay as often for work-related injuries on the D. He had to mm. go get his injuries in the holodeck instead. <laughs> right. I love how Bashir prescribes light duty for O'Brien as if every job in the history of the Federation isn't light duty. Like, <laughs> would he ordinarily be going into the cargo bay and like hand stacking shit? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, got to move around, you know, got to gotta close those rings. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this is all fun, but uh, Kara comes in and inter- interrupts everybody and says, don't mean to spoil the fun, but the Romulans have arrived. Yeah. Um, on their way down to, uh, to roll out the welcome mat for these Romulans, Kira and Cisco bump into 
Odo <laughs> and some security dudes who are in the process of detaining a punk in Drublick Klingon. Hmm. And uh, and there's just a a fun little coincidence that the station is going to be hosting some Klingons and some Romulans at the same time. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, this is a problem, Ben, because they famously don't like each other. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to rank Pataks mm-hmm. according to the to the Klingons, I mean Romulans is Romulans are right up there. Yeah, they're the leaders in the Patak clubhouse. They're top Patak. <laughs> These Romulans are a delegation that are here to make good on the deal that the Federation struck with the Empire uh, for getting a cloaking device for the Defiant. The The deal is that they get to look at everything the Federation has gathered in the way of intelligence about the Dominion uh, in exchange for that cloaking device. So... And they're, they're right down to business. Like we are to... not interested in your accommodations, Commander. We are here for your intelligence briefing. Nothing else. Uh, the two main ROMs are going to be Ruan and Karina. And uh, Ruan is going to be the guy who does most of the talking in the conference room scenes. Uh, Karina is the one with the long face. Ruan was in uh, Star Trek First Contact, according to his IMDb. I don't remember what character he played. He was the admiral that ordered the E not to come back during oh, shit. The, the Borg attack. Admiral. Catch you at a bad time, Jean-Luc. Wow. It's crazy how once you're in Star Trek, you're in Star Trek for like six different characters. Yeah, yeah. If they like an actor, they are excited to bring them back for a different loaf. Like, what do you think it is? Is it like, you know you're going to be in the makeup chair for a long time and there's a certain kind of actor that... Just yeah. isn't into that. If you and have the disposition for the loaf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like when they, uh, you know, when like the police get a litter of uh, puppies and they like see the one that's like the most enthusiastic about chewing the chewing the toy or whatever. That's the one that they want to sniff the drugs. Yeah. The, the Star Trek industrial complex finds actors that are well disposed to this kind of work. These ROMs want everything, Ben. They want every file... Every log, they want personal logs, they want browser histories, they want everything. They are a wide-ranging investigation. They have subpoenaed all the files. Seems fair, though. I think, I think when you're given cloaking devices out, you're inclined to ask for the maximum in return. That includes any classified reports you may have made to Starfleet Command. The requests that they're making are, are based on the fact that they have no eyes in the, in the Gamma Quadrant. They have not sent ships through. So, I mean, there's like a, at one point a bit of a argument between Kira and Cisco where Kira's like, why are we working with these turkeys? And Cisco's like, I don't know. I kind of see it as like pretty reasonable. They're asking for everything as a negotiating tactic and we'll work with them until we're both happy with what we're giving them. But this was the deal and they're a known known. It's always a game of chess with them and they're they're, uh, they've been playing chess from the beginning. If we can hit that bullseye, the rest of the dominoes will fall like a house of cards. Checkmate. Some of my favorite shots in this series are like a Galaxy Class or a Del Sol parked at the station. And we have Romulans and Klingons at Deep Space Nine at this point, And we never get an exterior of the station to see either of these ships. And I thought that was really disappointing. That was disappointing, but uh, I think that 
If you're looking for exciting model effects in this episode, don't worry, they're coming. Golden The cut. Golden So, Adam, when you put a dartboard up in a bar. Now, when you're hanging a dartboard <laughs> in your home's recreational space, you're going to want to make sure that that board isn't right next to any bar stools. Well there, Diane. You see, darts are a sport that uh, were originally invented by the Mayans and uh, came up through Florida uh, as the conquistadors explored uh, the uh, mainland of North America. We are down here with our homeowner, Moan. <laughs> Moan, what can you tell us about this recreational space? Moan, a man of very few words. <laughs> Typically on this show, we uh, have our homeowner recite some lines that we gave them in a way that is wooden and unprofessional because they're normal people. (laughs) Mon refused, perhaps ingeniously. Morn doesn't sign his waiver, so he's just like blocky pixels. <laughs> they have to tile his face out. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> Thus concealing his alien identity. Yeah. Uh, but uh, O'Brien's pretty psyched about uh, remaking Quark in the image of the Irish pub he always wished it was. Yeah. And uh, Quark doesn't really understand. He 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 uh, flings all the darts at once, and they all hit Morn. No! And, I mean, if Morn isn't wearing the puffer jacket, he's probably in some trouble. I wondered if the implication is that that's a puffer jacket or that that's a very skin-tight garment, and his oh. beefy body is right behind it. Oh, man. That's some prime beef, if so. I didn't even <laughs> consider that that may be real beef. Dax loves that dude. Yeah. Maybe it's because he's so beefy. It would make a lot of sense. <laughs> so Brian, like, grabs the darts. He's like, not not how you do it, Quark. Let me show you. And he tosses a dart, and, like, mid-throw, the screen flashes, and suddenly he's up on the upper level of the promenade watching himself talk to Quark about how the Klingons have destroyed the hollow suites. And uh, it's like a, there's two of them in, here in the scene. And uh, it's like one of those eerie Star Trek music cues. And at one point, the other O'Brien turns and sees him. And he kind of phases out of existence like a, a ripple in a pond. And then we smash cut back to a dart hitting the bullseye. And O'Brien like passes out on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's pass out in the theme song. Ben, they do a thing here that I wanted to discuss with you a little bit, which is a fun uh, bad dream rack focus. And this is a thing that you see a lot in horror films or, if you're me, uh, student films. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the technique of zooming and changing focus at the same time. It moves the background in such a way that makes the scene uh, look dreamlike and weird and, and just off. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love this stuff. It is especially hard to do with a non-motorized lens. Like, when you got to go two-handed on that. Yeah, but chances are pretty good that they got a fancy, Yeah. you know. Fancy puller. Yeah, the... uh, You got to get a fancy puller. Automatic zoom control joint. You want to use incognito mode when you buy a fancy puller. (laughs) And hope it comes in discreet packaging. Yeah, marked not fancy puller. (laughs) Yeah. So, in uh, the infirmary, Bashir examines 
O'Brien and uh, says he's been bombarded with radiation such that uh, his hallucinations are related to that. I love this scene because O'Brien had an experience that we can see was not a hallucination, but he can't necessarily see that. And so we know Bashir is wrong in this moment because when the other O'Brien that was talking to Quark on the promenade turned and noticed him and saw him phase out, that's a cue to the audience that this is not something he's imagining. Yeah. But they would never assume that he's time traveling as a as the like first guess at what's going on. So That's uh, another I, reason I love that first jump and how it's portrayed so much is it teaches you so much in so little time about what the rules are here. Yeah. It's great. Ben, the Pataklin group Issue one. is not going great. Yeah. Uh, because the ROMs are asking a bunch of uncomfortable questions about the Dominion uh, and their last interaction with them. And it seems to be pretty Odo-based. Like, they're, they're aware of Odo. They're aware of Odo's uh, relationship to the founders, and they are suspicious of that relationship. Right. They're aware of it, but they also don't really understand it in the same way that we do. Like, they're understanding that he is a member of the same race as the founders, they then project onto him all of the motivations and allegiances of the founders. And there's nothing Cisco and Kira can do to explain that away. Like the, the Romulans are like, I, you know, he's, he must be, if he's one of them, he's one of them. He's not, he's not on a different team. So why are, why are we trusting him with walking around this space station? It's really a burden of proof issue for them, right. you know? Odo made a conscious choice to stay here with us. He has no loyalties to the Dominion, and he has no information about their plans. Yeah, the suspicion is that there's a cover-up, right? We find that hard to believe. It's the truth. They're getting answers they don't like. They want even more classified stuff than they asked for previously. Uh, And people like Kira are getting defensive because to someone like her, she's giving truthful answers, but they're unsatisfying. And so she's becoming frustrated. Yeah. O'Brien encounters Quark. He's like walking down the promenade and uh, gets told that there's been some damage done to the hollow suites by these Klingons. And uh, this is the first time we find ourselves in a future that O'Brien has gone and visited because he's like in the middle of his rote response to Quark and realizes that he remembers this and, you know, slowly turns his head and sees other O'Brien standing there, you know, jaw dropped, watching them from the other side of the walkway. Ben, this is another Reza Badiyi episode, and it made me wonder how much they prescribe to a sort of cause and effect way of shooting. I think you mentioned a long time ago that one of the things that made uh, Nana Visitor such a great actor was that, like, it's not just emotional truth, but like physical in that remembering where your limbs are, remembering what they're doing, being like thoughtful about that stuff. And when you're shooting repeated scenes, especially like in a time travel context, yeah, uh, Kalamini gets that challenge now because they're shooting this in a couple of different ways. He needs to remember what his limbs are doing. Yeah. And it's interesting because this scene is different from the version of it we saw before. First of all, all of the camera positions are stationed on the other side of yeah. the upper walkway. So we see it from a different perspective. But also, it's different in that now he and his 
time travel counterpart are aware that something is strange. Yeah. And so so it unfolds a little bit differently and that is also a, a bit confounding, you know. <laughs> like you think about the other O'Brien, the one across the promenade there like we know that when he tra- time traveled before, this is not what he saw. Yeah. I really like how this episode treats these moments. They don't really go hard music cue <laughs> with with this. Yeah. It's uh it's spooky, but it's it's fairly unpronounced. Like it's, yeah. it's subtle and good. This leads Orion to take the issue, you know, he's he's been he's been in Starfleet long enough to know that this is something that you got to take to the brass. So <laughs> the the next scene is in Cisco's office and Dax has been put on the case. She's like done an internal scan of the station and found noticeable temporal anomalies in the places and times when O'Brien had these experiences. And so they they know that something is really happening to him pretty early on. And initially, they don't know exactly how far forward he's going, but uh, they are aware that it is real. Ben, it would be so interesting if this were a consequence from O'Brien's time traveling in Past Tense Part 2. Mm. Like if he were still covered with chronometric particles that yeah. that made both he and Kira even uh, subject to these sort of jumps. Like I was really hoping that, that their suspicion would be tied to that somehow and they would also exam Kira for some reason, like to make sure she wasn't going to be doing these as well. Like yeah. there's just not enough time for that kind of speculation, <laughs> but that's where my mind went initially. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe the issue is that this is an episode that is paying off something from an earlier ep, which is that but they are getting, getting the cloaking technology from the Romulans and they yeah. need to make the Romulans whole on that deal. Yeah. I think that TNG might have just forgotten about that deal and not <laughs> ever come back to it or had to like address that within the episode in which it was established. And yeah. This is a very different kind of show. But it is in this meeting that O'Brien travels again. And he's, uh, this time he is in Quark's bar, and it is a fucking brawl. It is an old school Star Trek brawl. He comes in there, and the, uh, the jukebox kicks up, and, uh, it's just a funky, funky disco song. Everybody was Star Trek fighting. Those Kirk chops were fast as lightning. Time travel is a little bit frightening I got radiated by some EPS piping (laughs) It's one thing for there to be a bar fight But as soon as a bar fight escalates to throwing stools level (laughs) Yeah That is crazy Yeah the, the the two things that really take a, a a fight to the next level is throwing stools and like that move where you smash a guy down on the bar and then run him along it so every glass breaks <laughs> against his face and I think both of those things go down in this scene. That's such an unnecessary fight flourish that I don't think would ever happen in real life that I would just love to see. Yeah, I mean I don't want to be in a bar fight, but if. I was like, I would, I would want it to be this level of lit. Just, yeah. just, you know, like get it out of my system in one go. Yeah. O'Brien saves O'Brien's life in this scene. Having two O'Briens in any bar fight, I think is an unfair advantage. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that in Star Trek. I mean, in life. Yeah. So he comes back to the meeting with Dax and Cisco and passes out 
which uh, seems to be happening. Every time he comes back, he uh, he collapses on the floor and wakes up in Six Bay a few later, a few minutes later. And um, the prognosis is that uh, this is actually like having a cumulative effect on O'Brien's body, and uh, he could die if they can't figure out how to stop him from traveling in time. Nice bedside manner, Bashir, also. <laughs> like, this scene really had me scratching my head. <laughs> He's, I think the, I think losing Vedic Burial a couple episodes ago has kind of hardened Bashir, <laughs> the idea of, like, of death of, of notable people. Yeah. He goes right from there's a problem with the nerve cells to this might kill you in no seconds flat. Kira comes in, does that thing of like how are you doing chief anyways uh cisco <laughs> some big news uh you mean she wifes <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> I, I guess is is cisco kira's work husband yeah i i think that makes sense wow you think oh, that burial was ever threatened by that I think Vedic Burial was threatened by interesting storylines. That's, <laughs> that's the only thing that he was afraid of. Man, you're nasty to that guy. I know. What is wrong with you? Kira is upset that the Romulans' demands are are so onerous, and Cisco is like so chill about this. He is all about keeping the peace. Whatever the cost, he's like, just give them whatever they're asking for. Like, this is fair. This is. Like, I mean, he draws some bright not... lines, right? He says no personal logs, no unrestricted yeah. access access to the Defiant, but he also sees where they're coming from. His his point is like, this has been the deal the whole time. Like, nothing about this should be surprising. Yeah, and then weirdly, we cut to the meeting room, and <laughs> it's just Kira and the Romulans. I thought it was weird that Cisco wasn't in this scene. The cut from this scene. I'm always diplomatic. To that one. That is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, and I resent the implication. Is one of the big laughs of this ep, and <laughs> yeah. I think, and of this season. It right. was great. But yeah, she should not have been let, left alone in that room with them. They, they have the vibe of the consultants that they bring in in office space to like assess whether people you know, should be, have their jobs eliminated. And Kira's going like, I have people skills. <laughs> I'm good with people. They're doing that thing that is very familiar to people who know me, which is like, it's so irritating to have one party in an argument, super calm <laughs> while you're, while you're trying to, to argue with them with like a raised amount of energy. Yeah. Me being the calm person that's very irritating to others. Yeah. You are very irritating. What Exactly. Uh in Quarks, Bashir and O'Brien are playing darts again and they're discussing uh, the future that O'Brien saw and what the chances are that that's going to happen. They're kind of staking out this fight, like like yeah. two cops sitting in a Crown Vic on the corner waiting for the fight to break out. I love that. O'Brien really feels like it feels about right, but the doctor is saying like, oh, well, maybe like it won't happen because you warned everybody, like they've beefed up security at the bar. 
the Klingons have been 86 from the bar. Like the, like this is probably not going to go down. And just then the Klingons come down the spiral staircase into the bar and they're like, Quark, what the fuck, man? Like, are you not paying attention? And it uh, turns out Quark is uh, just reliably greedy and the, the Klingons paid him 3x what it normally costs to use a hollow suite. And uh, he lifted the no Klingons restriction, which probably, you know, would have been a violation of their civil rights, right? Like, <laughs> you're not allowed in this bar based on your race. <laughs> yeah, that's that's tough. You're not going to make that happen on DS9. No. A place that allowed the Jem Hadar to walk freely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're very committed to their uh, libertine uh, and liberal policies. This is one of those moments where we get a premonition inside a premonition that we saw before. Because yeah. during the fight, uh, O'Brien blinks out and he's in a hallway looking at himself service a wall panel and upon opening this door to the wall panel the other o'brien gets shot dead very distracting for me because this wall panel is definitely the top of a rubbermaid file box that my mom had when i was a kid (laughs) that you were always afraid of yeah i mean that thing shot shot people dead several times right in front of me (laughs) ben you seem like the type of person that would have thought about this question and had an answer ready to go much like your tuxedo as a time traveler answer (laughs) which is i think one of the best q a's we've ever done if you were to see yourself from another time would you call yourself ben the way miles calls himself miles i thought that was fucking weird that is he sees himself and he's like miles (laughs) i think you would i think you'd have to say hey uh dude dude Bro! I thought, I thought that was weird. Yeah. I'm not calling myself Adam. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I don't even like calling you Adam. Yeah. I don't like being called Adam. Yeah. <laughs> O'Brien wakes up in the infirmary like the undertaker, like bending at the waist. I love that detail. <laughs> he is most definitely alive. Yeah. But, but he tells Bashir in a few hours, I'm going to be dead. I thought that in this moment when he says in a few hours, I'm going to be dead, it would have been great if... Bashir had like double checked his clipboard or something like, huh, that's not what I have. (laughs) You know, like, no, 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 no. I mean, in a time travel way. I mean, that would be in keeping with the the casual vibe that Bashir throws throughout this app. Yeah. They uh, they head down to this hallway and uh, it's Odo and Cisco and O'Brien. And they're taking a good look at this Rubbermaid file box in the wall. And uh, they're not detecting anything, you know? Like, you can even see the fucking Rubbermaid logo on this thing. (laughs) I love that everyone takes comedy cover, like, down the hallway while Odo opens it. Yeah, he opens it, and uh, it's just, there's just some glowing Star Trek crap inside. Is that what I think it is? Mm -hmm. No death device. But they, uh, they're like, okay, well, this is an empty section of the station. Nobody's down here. We'll put up some, uh some nest cams or whatever keep an eye on things and uh we should uh, we should be able to figure out who the perpetrator is we find out that these time jumps are moving o'brien exactly five hours into the future that's another element to this scene like odo suggesting the security camera is part of it but another element is like now that we have an exact measurement to this it would be nice to have a clue about what's causing this time shifting and dax 
coincidentally enough, radios to the crew that she has a theory. Yeah, in ops, she shows them a singularity that is in orbit of the station, and they, I think, initially are treating the singularity as potentially just some weird space phenomenon. Yeah, that is, uh, it's on an ellipsis, so whenever it gets like to one part of it, it emits something that is pulling O'Brien into the future, which is why the jumps are kind of a predictable amount of time and at a predictable interval. So they're starting to wrap their heads around this. And, and, and like the doctor has like an idea for how to, how to cure him of time travel, but they're not treating it as being like a, an intentional threat. You know, they're just treating it as being like a Star Trek puzzle. Up to this point in the ep, O'Brien has sort of viewed these jumps with curiosity I mean, and outside the bar fight, nothing's nothing's been dangerous about them. It feels like O'Brien kind of sleepwalks through these in a way that I was hoping for a little more uh, interest on his part, you know? Right. Like it, the fear of having seen himself die seems like it would inspire more frantic action. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's very businesslike. Like, okay, it's the singularity. We'll uh, start, you know, we'll start treatments one of the things I love about O'Brien is that he's he's so level-headed in, in a bunch of his life, but the thing that I love about him, too, is, like, when he goes off, it is super fun to watch him boil over. Don't feel like he boils over. Yeah. So the crew has, like, checked out this section and the suitcase on the wall, and they're like, well, we're going to hang a camera and keep an eye on it, but Kira wasn't a part of this investigation and has since moved the Romulans to this section yeah. right next to the booby trap wall panel. What are the chances? Yeah. Cisco is feeling confident enough about the doctor's chances of removing the radiation from him and the security camera being posted on the wall next to the suitcase that he'll just let things play out. Yeah, well, he also doesn't want to expose the fact that they kind of have a jump on whatever strange situation is going on here. So now that that security device is in place, they can actually figure out who's going to do it by dint of the fact that they know a little bit about the future. When they cut to Odo's security office and you see the footage from the camera, I think it is fucking hilarious that it oscillates. <laughs> it's going bang and forth just a little bit. Like, that's how you get blind spots, Odo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they forgot to push that pin down on the top yeah. of the fan to keep it pointed in one direction. Yeah. Yeah, but Odo, not because of the security camera, has detected a transporter beam as placed an object within that suitcase. Yeah. Uh, he says uh, he tells Cisco, like, you know, now the game is afoot. I'm going to fucking investigate everybody. I'm investigating the Klingons. I'm investigating, like, anybody on the station, including Quark. On the list of people that Odo is investigating, Ben, the visiting Torellians. Yeah. Of the Haven Planet, of the Wyatt Millers, of the Take On Me music. Really? I guess they cured the plague because the Torellians are cruising around the galaxy again. This is uh, this is great news for the Torellians. I didn't even uh, I didn't even notice it. So tossed off it is. Yeah, like, like they throw it in on this list, but that's a big name to yeah. be on that list. I'd investigate Wyatt Miller, Ben. <laughs> Guy's always up to no good. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, oh, oh. I don't use the bucket anymore. 
At Quarks, Bashir and O'Brien are discussing the situation while drinking the blue drink of awkward premonitions. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Quark is uh, coming around to refill them, and he's like, uh, you know, if there's a character on this show that is like Biff Tannen, it is me, <laughs> and I would like you to uh, grab a sports almanac next time you go forward in time, you know? I want to know what's going on on the Dabo wheel. If, if you could help me out, that would be great. I mean, Quark, who has known about these jumps since before the theme song, finally sees an angle. <laughs> well, he's not not a brilliant man. But uh, the next jump is not that uh, O'Brien goes and uh, finds himself with the double wheel and r- writes down a bunch of scores, but he actually finds himself in Six Bay, and there's a covered-up body on the slab. He uh, peels back the blanket and finds himself dead. <laughs> We get one of the rare looking pasty into commercial <laughs> moments here. Um, yeah, and the explanation is that there's something going on with his basal ganglia that uh, the doctor didn't initially detect. Basal ganglia are the tastiest parts of a Miles O'Brien bin. Oh, yeah. No one prepares kelpian like the imperial chef. But uh, now we start kind of a theme of every time O'Brien goes into the future, it's not good for future him. Yeah. Yeah, and so like a message in the bottle, Bashir is like, look, here's what you need to tell me to do to save your life. So he gives him some instructions about a scan that Bashir needs to run so that he can find the damage and repair it before it kills O'Brien. And they have kind of an argument about the level of care that Bashir gave O'Brien that resulted in his death that I thought was really cute. Yeah. (laughs) O'Brien is pissed that, that... like, in his eyes, Bashir didn't try hard enough to save his life. <laughs> and Bashir is a guy that put, like, robot brains into Vedic Burial. Like, O'Brien must have a do-not-positron brain transplant medical bracelet, right? Yeah, if you go into the health app on his phone, it says, don't positron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's a DNP <laughs> directive. <laughs> yeah, poor O'Brien. Bashir's uh, like, stand aside. He's gone. but he's still breathing sorry there's nothing any of us can do now (laughs) Cisco and Odo meet up in an empty set of quarters and Odo has figured out how this killer surveillance device got into the uh, Rubbermaid file box Uh, somebody modified the replicator in this quarters with a piece of technology that has strong indications of having Klingon origins. And uh, they turned the replicator into a low-energy transporter and uh, did a a pretty masterful bit of professional transporting work to beam that thing into that wall panel. So, And what it turns out is that these Klingons are, in fact, uh, members of something akin to a Tal Shiar or an Obsidian Order. They're like a high-level... Uh, espionage team that uh, that Odo's got their number now and uh, God and... like tell me everything about the Klingon strike force Ben I know like, like I I wanted to stop the episode here and then have a different episode that was just about them yeah like and also reach through the screen and slap Cisco when he says don't explain it to me like I want the explanation <laughs> these guys report straight to Gowron like yeah. I want all that stuff yeah, tell me everything. Yeah. So all of this is evidence enough to question the Klingons. 
Indeed. And uh, the idea is like, oh, we'll just detain them for the rest of the time that the Romulans are here, and that will minimize the the threat that they pose to station security. And uh, and also they won't be able to like put killer devices in any more Rubbermaid tubs. Ben, legally, when you're doing an episode of television or a film that involves time travel, wherein a a main character talks to their own main character you must have a scene where one character asks another who told you that and then the 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 main character says you did yeah they check that box here yeah with Bashir and O'Brien in the infirmary well who am I to argue with me yeah the trouble with scenes like this is that you kind of inevitably have to listen to a character do the same exposition two different times right and that's always boring and dumb um, and the, if it's neither of those, it's just inefficient. Yeah. I mean, the idea that O'Brien is going to die of a basal ganglia thing is established already, but now he has to re-explain it to the doctor and, uh, and save his life again. <laughs> Which I guess he's all right with doing, given his emotional state this ep. Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, he's okay with it. Odo very efficiently crams all three Klingons into the same cell in the brig. And uh, they are unhappy with their circumstances. They threaten Odo. When my family finds out what you have done, they will come here and kill you. Uh, but Odo threatens right back. The only people who will be coming here are your friends in Klingon intelligence. With the embarrassment of the Klingon intelligence community as his, as his leverage. Yeah, he says, like, uh, hey, like, uh, it, it would suck for you guys from a career reputation standpoint for this to make its way back to the people you report to. So I will gladly be discreet about what you've done here if you'll tell me what you're up to. Snitching is without honor, though, Ben. Right. I'm surprised that uh, the Klingons didn't go that route. Klingons are pretty easy to cram into quarters, corners like this, though. Like, the, yeah. the rules of Klingon are so well-established yeah uh, i mean like they like it, they don't really betray what their decision is here they just look uncomfortably at the camera and then mm. uh we cut to another scene yeah so the chiefs basal ganglia has been cleared of whatever nasty stuff was in it and uh he and the doctor are pretty close to being done with uh with squaring him away they're meeting with dax and cisco and ops uh going over this uh this situation and uh o'brien is suddenly boarding a runabout in the future uh, finds himself piloting this runabout to safety while they like load refugee-like denizens of deep space nine into it and uh, there's a fucking great model shot of all three runabouts speeding away from the station as it explodes in space. This scene made me think a lot of that scene in Times Squared. Like, I think this is the first time we've seen the station explode. Yeah. And we've gotten a evacuation scene that preceded it. I love this stuff. Yeah. Some of my favorite parts of Star Trek are scenes like this. And I think it's smart that they wait this long in the series to do this because... Yeah. The, it does feel pretty impactful to see Deep Space Nine explode in space. Yeah. It's practical, too. It's a fucking great explosion, and it also impacts the wormhole. We get to see the wormhole wink out of existence. Right. This is an awesome sequence because 
like what we've established up till now is that O'Brien can take knowledge about him getting killed or him contracting a disease back into the past and save his life. But in this scene, the future self that he encounters doesn't really know anything. Like they know right. that the station is under an existential threat, but he does not bring any linchpin knowledge back to save it. And I feel like the danger feels very real now in a way where like if he'd just been given another Contra code to punch in when he gets back to his time, uh, this episode would fall flat. But yeah. like this really ramps the, the feeling of tension up. Yeah. And I really like the scene that follows. Like there are no answers and they can't rule anything out. The only problem with the scene that follows is that he flashes back and this time does not collapse. He just continues the meeting and is like, hey, yeah. I have some new information. Yeah, that's different. And they kind of break their own rule here, don't they? Is that because they treated his ganglia? Maybe. I mean, that's pretty good canon. It's head canon about the head. I like it for that reason. Head head canon canon? <laughs> So they, they actually prepare to evacuate the station, but they do it in a real low-key manner. If the destruction of the station is a result of an attack or sabotage, we don't want to alarm our enemy. And O'Brien rather heroically volunteers to go back in time one more time. Like, he and the doctor kind of puzzle through this way that they could like inject him with even more ionizing radiation and fine-tune exactly how far into the future he goes. It takes Bashir basically no time to develop and produce the time garter that moves <laughs> O'Brien forward by two hours. Yeah, I actually got a really bad bruise one time at a wedding time to trying to catch the time garter when, uh -huh. the, when the groom rocketed off his finger. Ouch. Do people do that at weddings anymore? Yeah, I think that's that's still a thing. Wow. The the wedding phase of my life seems like it's many years in the past, like the, the, the years where you would go to five weddings in a summer. Yeah. Now I'm going to second weddings. <laughs> <laughs> that's the phase that I'm in. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> morn, morn. Morn. Dear sweet. Morn. 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 You need everybody? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. I love... This scene, because it's one of the rare moments when an officer feels the mortality of a moment before a mission they're about to do. Mm -hmm. Like O'Brien actually does the, I've got a letter in my quarters for Keiko, man. Yeah. You know what to do with that letter, right? I understand, Miles. It's also the first time Keiko has come up in this episode, which I, I felt <laughs> right. was a little weird before this. O'Brien's like, yeah, I think very little of her when she's away. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been jacking it a lot, and frankly, like the hormones in my system just don't turn my thoughts to my wife that much. As a result, my dick is fucking burger right now. Like, uh, <laughs> I would actually welcome the sweet release of death. <laughs> like, have you ever gotten like a hot Italian sausage at the grocery store and cut the casing off? That's kind of what it looks like down there. <laughs> When O'Brien appears in the future, uh, he appears in his own quarters and wakes himself up. The question I... like This is another depiction of a person in Starfleet who doesn't sleep beneath a blanket. Yeah. I'm always distracted by this little shit. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Why? Why isn't he sleeping under a blanket? Yeah. Not, uh, not even possible for me. Yeah. No. Another. And not only that, he's sleeping on top of the blanket. Like yeah. when he when he gets up, it's not that he doesn't have on. one. Yeah, 
<laughs> also, that bed is not big enough for him and Keiko. Like, does he have a, a single man bed while she's out of town? Is is O'Brien Benjamin R. Harrisoning and and doing like two double beds in the quarters? <laughs> and that's his. Does he have a man cave in his apartment <laughs> and he's sleeping in that while she's gone? Um, anyways, uh, another confusing thing about this scene is that sleepy-headed O'Brien that time travel O'Brien is waking up does not appear to be hip to the scheme of time travel. I was right there with you, Ben. Why doesn't he already know? Why isn't he awake and waiting? Yeah, like, okay, what do we do? What do we gotta do? Yeah, and just, like, the moment when you or I are asking each other these questions, like, they have an argument about temporal mechanics in which they state how much they hate temporal mechanics like it's a slide whistle reference to the logical fallacy of this yeah weird i hate temporal mechanics well, they make it up to ops just in time for the bangers to start a dropping and uh we uh, get up on screen the uh, Romulan warbird coming in like a super high speed attack run on the station <laughs> And uh, while they while they scramble to try and you know get the defenses going, the uh, time travel O'Brien collapses on the stoop there, and uh, like very weakly passes his time travel armband over to uh, Bathrobe O'Brien, who he sends back into the past to bring the message that the singularity in orbit around the station was not a space phenomenon, but was in fact a cloaked worship is there a pajama clad o'brien in the playmates action figure collection because if so oh man with the with the armband action accessory with the time garter <laughs> yeah give me it's that like, it's like bright orange plastic with no it's not painted or anything no <laughs> that's like the shittiest thing about those toys is all the little accessories are just like yeah purple sensical like like it drove me crazy as a kid that th- there would be like a purple tricorder yeah. Like, that's not what color tricorders are. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I'm opening up every action figure I get, and I'm just throwing all that stuff away. That's probably sacrilege. That probably means we'll stop getting sent action figures by by oh, the I friends better, of DeSoto, but... Uh, better take that out, then. <laughs> this is a crucial moment, because uh, the O'Briens flip-flop time periods. Yeah. They exchange. Yeah, and uh, presumably the one that was totally irradiated died on, you know, in ops from his radiation poisoning. But uh, Bathrobe O'Brien appears in the uh, in Six Bay, like kind of creepily hovering behind the doctor. Chief, what happened? And the doctor is like scanning him. He's like, what the hell? Why aren't you hmm? totally irradiated? What's going on? He's like, I, I, I switched, switched with my counterpart. There's been a, a change. They never even considered this as an option. It is crazy that the O'Brien that we get for the rest of the series, for the rest of his life, is not the O'Brien from this specific timeline, right? Yeah. It's bizarre. It's uh, We'll have to watch him closely and see if he seems strange for any other reasons. He's always been a little squirrely. So uh, presumably these Romulans have been in- interviewing every person that lives on the station because... We find out that uh, they've been interviewing Quark. Cisco and Kira and Odo and some security guys barge into the conference room and say, "Quark, you you're free to go." And then they uh, they Sherlock Holmes the Romulans about their evil plan. 
the evil plan was basically that the Romulans felt the Dominion was an unknowable threat, and therefore they were just going to take it off the board by exploding the wormhole. And exploding the station was actually to cover up uh, what they had done. They were going to make it look like the wormhole spontaneously exploded and that the station was a casualty of that. An interesting theory, Commander. It's a great moment for Cisco specifically because he gets to rise to this moment and really throw it back in their faces. Yeah, and he's like, I got 50 photon torpedoes aimed at your ship's dick. And if you don't want your ship's dick to get blown off, you'll call it off. I think it's time we left. This is an offense for which the Romulans should be punished, like diplomatically. But I get the sense that that'll never happen. Like, this is just the shit that they pull. And then they, they never get punished. Romulan's gonna rom. Like, this should be a war-making offense. They get beamed off the station instead of leaving on the ship they came in on. Did you think that was weird? Oh, I didn't uh, I didn't realize that. Remember, they came in through the docking ring. Yeah. But they, were they but, on uh, a Romulan ship, though? Or were they just, like, were they flying commercial? That's the thing, Ben. We never see the exterior, so we don't know. They have Delta radiation butt plug status. <laughs> Yeah. The button on the episode is Bashir and O'Brien playing darts again. And uh, Bashir is playfully needling him about uh, what he might know about the future. Is this the same night that the station would have presumably blown up? Like, how? Because O'Brien, like, knows that they're going to get Dabo on the Dabo wheel over there and yeah. kind of teases Quark with that. But, uh,. Would he have gone and, like, hung out in the bar all night with his buddy Bashir in the other timeline? Here's what my headcanon presupposes. It's that I don't know a lot about Dabo, but I feel like it's a coin flip. Like, and the opportunity to fuck with Quark in the way that (laughs) O'Brien has here is such that He's going to call Dabo before it happens because it's probably a 50-50 chance that it does. And if it hits, it yeah. is just going to like melt Quark's mind. But also, would this O'Brien know that Quark had asked for special future knowledge? Here's the thing. This might be a good question to answer during the did you like portion of the episode. Yeah. Because I have some thoughts about uh, this. Well, we could get to that. That's, that's right now. You really want to do this here. Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it. I love this episode. And I love it the more I don't think about it. Yeah. Because it is almost totally incoherent. But if you just like lay back and let the episode happen, it is fucking great. It is so much fun. It's like Inception. It like doesn't actually make any sense, but it's real fun. It's totally high stakes and totally fun because it's O'Brien involved. They did great in every element besides the actual time travel science. Yeah. But if you're going to get bogged down in time travel science, you're going to make an episode that's like Primer, which isn't fun, you know? The movie Primer, I mean. I liked Primer. No, I I liked it too, but like that movie was about time travel mechanics and and less about the characters involved, where this episode is is more character-based. Yeah. I loved... That they had the good sense not to do the face-to-face thing that Star Trek VI did or Will and Tom Riker did in TNG. Like, they blocked O'Brien to O'Brien really, really well. And I think another piece that makes me love the ep is that it feels a lot like a TNG episode. It does, yeah. It's, I think, a very strong episode, and the button is the wrong button. 
Like, yeah. you don't want to end an episode like this on a scene that primarily provokes the thought, did any of that work or make sense? Yeah. Like, that's not the taste you want to leave in everybody's mouth, but... You want to believe that it mattered. Yeah, and I think it could have been ended that way, and it would have been an almost perfect episode. <laughs> like, right. despite the time travel making no sense, it could have been almost perfect if if it had ended in a way that felt impactful. But this, yeah. it's like a slide whistle that also sort of kneecaps the rest of the app. If you're willing to accept everything up until the button, then I think the but the button happens fine. Yeah. Like and that's and that's where I'm at with it. Like if I'm if I'm viewing the entirety of the episode and applying the same rules <laughs> and my rules are don't think about it, then <laughs> great episode. One of my favorite episodes of DS9 so far, I would say. Fun. Do you want to see if we have any great priority one messages? Yeah, let's hit it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature. Hey! It's from our friends at automationgame.com. Message goes like this. Ever wanted to design your own Previa? Yes. Or a new Malibu for Picard? <laughs> well, now you can in automation. The car company tycoon game. Be a CEO of a multinational car company. Design cars and engines with powerful tools and mind-boggling detail. <laughs> Set up factories and sell your own cars in various different markets. Wow. Available in early access on Steam. And it's made by Friends of DeSoto in Wellington, New Zealand. Cool. I love games like this. Not yeah. shoot 'em ups. Just yeah. the uh, build something. I love games like this as well. And this sounds of uh, particular interest to me as somebody who has recently waded into the selecting and purchasing of a car. Yeah, you're a recent carman, Ben. Yeah. The, the last piece of this message says, uh, P.S. Can Ben, Adam, and hopefully John please come and do some shows as we love watching podcasts live? Man. Well, got to tell our friends at automationgame.com that uh, we have talked to our booking agent about going there. It's something we want to do badly. So. Yeah, no timeline for that. The, uh, the thing that's going to make it happen is if we can get some actionable intel on uh, the size of our audience there. And uh, I think we'd even be willing to do it at a loss just to get to go. But we need to be able to get like 200 people in a room, you know? A festival helps too because right. a, a festival covers things that are expensive like hotels and flights sometimes. Yeah. Well, Automation sounds like a great game and I'm pretty excited to check it out. How do people get this this game? It's available on Steam, which is a popular uh, video game service, but also automationgame.com is where you can find out more information and uh, and get the game there. That sounds... uh, the graphics look pretty great. Yeah. If you're a car nerd especially, like uh, like a cartooning simulator, looks like a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I know you to be an actual car nerd. So it's me. This is uh, this is right in your wheelhouse. So to speak. Adam, our second priority one message is of a personal nature, and it is from Gina R. Collins. Hey. <laughs> and it is for Kevin Collins. It goes like this. Happy birthday, anniversary, and Christmas, my 42. You're one of my favorite Time Lords, Starfleet officers, and nerds. Thank you for introducing me to the pod and to our TGG family. 
Here's to our next adventure, Love Always. Shout out to that TGG fam. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder how Kevin feels that Gina has taken on my middle... Maybe Gina naturally had my middle name. Maybe maybe that's the middle name she was given uh-huh. at birth, but I suspect <laughs> that she took it as a nom de guerre the same way I did. Mm. So I wonder how Kevin feels about that. <laughs> I don't know. Non-threatened, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. It seems, it seems like it's all in good fun. It seems like G- there's a lot of love uh, headed headed toward Kevin from Gina. Well, if you're a friend of DeSoto or even a family of DeSoto with a message for another friend or family member, you can take it out over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They're a great way to help the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. They sure are. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, it's Bashir. (laughs) Bashir fails to see the magic in this episode at all. And the moment where he should have felt it the most was he had watched his friend die. Yeah. And then the appearance of a a second O'Brien should have at least made him raise an eyebrow. Yeah. Doesn't even do that. Weird. Something's wrong with Bashir. I mean, I think you want a doctor with, like, steady surgical hands. Yeah. Someone who's going to give it to you straight. I, those, are, those are behaviors that I appreciate about Dr. Bashir. Do you think but, this is an overcorrection in the writing? Like, they, he was such a goofball, bozo creep in the first couple seasons that they thought, oh, we got to make him more serious and more chief medical officer and more dispassionate. I do think that... I think that's what's happening here. My drunk Shimoda is Quark for Biff Tannening in this episode. I thought he was he was real funny the way the only thing he cared about <laughs> was a way to uh, you know beat fate for profit, <laughs> and uh, I really liked that. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. 
Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 18, Distant Voices. An alien named Altovar approaches Bashir to obtain a restricted substance the doctor refuses, prompting Altovar later to break into the infirmary. Uh, that's, of course, the Netflix episode description. The Amazon description is... Comatose and dying after an alien attack, Bashir must access different parts of his personality, which take the form of crew members, to save his life. There's a writer that's seen the whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Sounds kind of like a, uh, a prophet orb experience, right? Yeah, kind of does. The picture on Netflix is of Garrick, and the picture on Amazon is of old Bashir. <laughs> so, <laughs> this could be a weird app. Looking forward to it, Ben. I am too. Do you want to uh, do you want to head on over to gach.biz/game where we host Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets, and find out if uh, we will be doing this in any particular type of way? Gotta do that. All right, Ben. We are currently on square forty-three, where uh, just ahead we've got a The Traveler episode, 
and then in the uh, in the great great distance we have a space butthole ahead yeah and that space butthole leads to a fuck it we'll do it live you're required to learn as you play roll i've got the die in my hand i have rolled that die and it is a one Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We are on square uh, 44 for the next episode. Just a great and regular episode of The Greatest Generation. Yeah. Well, uh, our, our thanks to our buddies Felipe Sobriero and Craig Anderson for making the uh, biz slash game website. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys, for improving the game experience for all. We got some other thanks to do, Adam. First of all, let's thank the great, great friends of DeSoto who take it upon themselves to help support the production of this program by going to maximumfun.org/donate. Uh, you can uh, sign up there to support the show on a monthly basis. It's the way this thing happens. Uh, we also really appreciate everybody who leaves a nice review in the. Uh, podcasting app of their choice uh, most specifically an apple podcast which really moves the needle in a big way on uh, our download numbers thanks to all of those folks gotta thank adam ragusia who is the creator of the interstitial music on the greatest generation he and dark materia combined efforts for the main title music for the greatest gen and uh, they're both big big parts of what make this show great uh, lots of people make amazing artwork and uh, stuff online. If you use the hashtag GreatestGen, you can see all kinds of great stuff. There's like people animating scenes of GreatestGen. There's people uh, making trading cards like Bill Tilly and J.J. Lendl. Uh, and uh, there's people just, uh, just yes-anding the jokes and having a great time. You can also join the communities over on Reddit or Facebook, or uh, check out the Wikia, where Every joke that we've ever made is uh, is picked apart like a like dissecting a frog. <laughs> Truly, our jokes are like so many corpses. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, go to uh, maximumfun.org and check out some of the other great shows on the network, including The Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire. Yeah, those are some great shows right there. Yeah, and with that. We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which does the show while wearing burlap sacks. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.